0: Hey friends, Jason Miller here. You're listening to the South Bend City Church podcast. If you'd like to watch this teaching, just look for South Bend City Church on YouTube or find our Instagram account at Church. Whether you're local and tuning in this way because our gatherings are suspended because of COVID or you're a member of our long distance digital family, we love you and we hope you're well served by this teaching. If you'd like to financially support the work, please go to southbendcitychurch.com give. Hey Church, first of all, if you're watching this on YouTube or Instagram, as opposed to our podcast listeners, you might notice that I'm here in Studebaker 112 and the floors of our gathering area are cleared of chairs because we are in the final stages of cleaning and getting ready for you to come back to 112 for gatherings. And we're really excited about this. Hopefully you've already heard the announcement, but starting in May, we're going to go to phase two of our three-phase plan for getting back to our regular life together. Uh, Phase two means gatherings here at Studio Bicker 112 with limited attendance. We'll do some registration each week. It means kids ministry up through age five in kids rooms, Uh, but it's right around the corner and we're really looking forward to it. Uh, As always, if you want details, make sure that you're on our email newsletter or head to the website and you can learn more. That being said, uh, this is week three of us working out this big idea from Easter that comes to us from Second Corinthians where Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And we're asking if it's true that this resurrection of Jesus has given birth to a whole new world in the midst of the old world. of a a new world of healing and and light and love in the midst of an old world of woundedness and hurt and darkness. If if both of these worlds sit side by side and we want to figure out how to walk with Jesus into this new world and leave behind the old world, we're asking how to do that. And today to help us out, I want to observe with you that the Bible actually has a lot of death and resurrection motifs throughout its pages, not just the big one in the heart of the Gospels with Jesus' death and resurrection. In fact, uh, there's a there's a Hebrew scholar, a Jewish scholar named John Levinson who teaches at Harvard, so he's, he's doing okay, I guess. And he's written a, a whole book about the Genesis narrative. And the name of this book about the book of Genesis, that, that very first book in the Hebrew Scriptures, is The Death and Resurrection of the Beloved Son. And he works out the way that this motif of death and resurrection plays out over and over again in the stories of the book of Genesis. So it's there in Genesis and that's another conversation for another time. But it's also in the book of Exodus, that big, beautiful, liberating moment when Israel leaves its slavery behind in Egypt and gets led out into her freedom. Well, there's a way of reading that moment when they come through the Red Sea as them coming through a sort of water grave and being raised up into a new life and a new world. And so today to gain some wisdom about how to walk with Jesus in the new world, I wanna observe something that happens for the Israelites right after God takes them out of that water grave and, and the life they had in that old world of slavery and into this new world of liberation and freedom. So like right after they're liberated, right after they are freed up, they find themselves meeting God on this mountain that they call Sinai. And there on the mountain called Sinai, God tells them things, gives them some instructions. So God says things like this, this is Exodus 25. God says, make a lampstand of pure gold. Hammer out its base and shaft and make its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms of one piece with them. Six branches are to be extended from the sides of the lampstand, three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next branch and all the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And on the lampstand, there were to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. And one bud shall be under the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand, and a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and the branches shall all be one piece with the lampstand hammered out of pure gold. Well, that's just one example. Let me keep going. This is a little bit later in the book of Leviticus. This still comes from this A big encounter that Israel has with God on the mountain right after they're brought out of the watery grave and into their new liberated life. This is Leviticus chapter 23. God said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land I'm going to give you and you reap its harvest, bring to the priest a sheaf of the first grain of your harvest. He is to wave the sheaf before the Lord so that it will be accepted on your behalf. The priest is to wave it on the day after the Sabbath. On the day you wave the sheaf, You must sacrifice as a burnt offering to the Lord a lamb, a year old without defect, together with its grain offering of two-tenths of one ephah of the finest flour mixed with olive oil, a food offering presented to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, and its drink offering a quarter of a hin, that's H-I-N, of wine. You must not eat any bread or roasted or new grain until the very day you bring this offering to your God. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. And right after Israel's liberation, for page after page after page after page in the story, God gives them this minutia like detail on how they are to order their life. Now, I don't know about you, but I think about the Israelites. They've had 400 years of slavery. And I think at this point, being freshly liberated, if God like, brings me and my people these words, my first feeling might be like, God, can we please have a break? Like, like is this really what we need to do on this new day in a new world can't we have a little fun can't we lay back a little bit but he gives them all of this minutia level instruction i this is a really cheap metaphor but the closest feeling i could bring the experience that sort of feels slightly similar to me in the most trivial of ways is like when i was in high school and sometimes my mom would come in to wake me up before school and my poor mom of course she's trying to manage all of our schedules and it's a heavy load with like me and my brother and my dad and the household and all the stuff going on. So my mom, understandably, is trying to get ahead of things. And so she comes into my bedroom and wakes me up and the first thing she does is she starts telling me about the plan for the day. And I remember laying there in bed thinking like, really, like right now, like I I don't want these details, I don't have any heart for these details. I can imagine that for the Israelites, after 400 years of slavery, that this sort of tedious instruction might have felt Like a strange burden to carry in this moment but we're asking how do we walk with god in a new world and this is what god does with the israelites when he's brought them out into a new world and it makes me wonder if when god has brought you out of a grave and into a new life in a new world whether this is a a profoundly personal experience of, of salvation or healing or whether the experience that we are sharing right now as we all collectively come out of COVID life and into life on the other side, I wonder if it's important for us to recognize that when God brings you out of a grave and into a new life and a new world, the designs matter. The details matter. That that you and I, when we are brought out of a grave and into a new life and a new world, that we have some choices to make about whether we will be accidental or intentional about life on the other side. And for the Israelites, when they're brought out of that grave and into new life in a new world, God gives them lots of ways to be highly intentional with a very designed sort of life that they are going to share. And it's been my experience when I think about some of the most profound uh, examples of death and life in my life that, that design has really mattered. Like one example, and I've, I've shared this narrative a few times with you. Uh, so if you know it, you know it. But like when I was in college, I ran into a really, really painful mental health journey, and it had to do with childhood trauma and clinical depression. And it got worse and worse and worse. And I thought it was going to literally be the end of me. And thank God before it became the literal end of me, I by some grace, found myself checking myself into a hospital where I spent 10 days just weeping and processing and grieving. And that hospital was in so many ways both a grave and a womb. It was a grave where a lot of things died in my life that needed to die, and it was a place where something new sprang up. And in so many ways, my life is sort of before and after that experience. And so coming out of that experience and living a new life, being granted what felt like a new lease on life, and the whole world felt a little bit different to me. I realized pretty quickly that I needed to design my life to not take for granted the new life that i had been given. So like the one big example for me was, if you know anything about mental health, hopefully you know that sleep really matters. Like good long sleep actually matters for our mental health and resilience. And before I went into the hospital, I had a pretty toxic relationship with sleep. I was a college kid, I'd stay up till four in the morning, or do an all-nighter. It's just my, my sleeping patterns were all over the board. And what I've discovered is the way I'm wired, like this body and this brain that I have, I actually need like nine good hours a night to, to be well and to flourish. So coming out of the hospital, I had to turn my attention toward designing the kind of life where I would give myself what I needed. It meant changing the structure of my social life. It meant thinking differently about work and leisure. But like, I, I realized like nobody's going to do that for me. By, But I've been given this new opportunity for a new kind of life and I want to design a structure that stewards it, that takes advantage of it, that gives me more of it rather than wasting it or throwing it away. And it it turns out that like for 2000 years, the the church has often taught this this, this wisdom, which is that, that we have to be intentional about the lives that we live if we want to take advantage of the world that God is inviting us into because accidental living doesn't actually get us very far. Sometimes the church has talked about spiritual disciplines and practices. Sometimes we've uh, used the phrase uh, a rule of life, which is basically a way of designing your whole life around uh, growing in God and growing toward your true self. Uh, Different ways that we've talked about it in our history of of 2,000 years in the big church family. Now, sometimes when the church has talked about uh, a well-designed life, in light of the gift that we've been given being brought out of a grave and into a new world sometimes the church has spoken of this generously and wisely and sometimes the church has leveraged this perspective harshly and full of self-righteousness sometimes the church has spoken as a way of inviting each of us into practicing the way of jesus practice where failure isn't fatal and you have nothing to prove But because of the gifts that we've been given of this new life and this new world, we can practice, we can be intentional, we can learn to harmonize our life with the rhythms of God's kingdom. That's beautiful, but sometimes the church has talked about this uh, as a performance, as as a way that you prove yourself to us or to the authorities or to the people who claim to speak for God. And there can be so much harm and hurt in, in using this idea like that, that a lot of us, I fear, and maybe even Southland City Church, like we might be a bit shy about talking about a well-designed life, about an intentional life, about a life with spiritual practice. We, like we might be shy about it because we recognize how much baggage and trauma there is in the church around it. But then you know what happens? I've observed this and maybe you have too. When the church perhaps is afraid to talk about like a well-designed life, well, it just bubbles up elsewhere. In fact, there's like a whole cottage industry Of of people like writing and talking about a well-designed life, and I actually I love learning from some of this stuff. I think a a lot of the podcasts that I learn from, the most of the books that I read, and these are people who who have worked really hard to understand how how a well-designed life works, and they're talking about how to do it. And by the way, I'm not afraid to just kind of steal some stuff from that like self-helpy space and bring it into this conversation. So like like let me do that. Let me bring a couple of big ideas that I've found in that self-helpy space and bring them in, because I think they're actually really wonderful for anybody who's asking, how do I follow Jesus into this new world and this new life, whether it's post-COVID or post-resurrection, and how do I do it with good design? Well, a couple of big ideas I wanna sort of steal from these spaces. Uh, The first one comes uh, from a couple of guys that call themselves the minimalists. Now, if you know the minimalists, you might think you know where I'm going, but hold on, because I'm I'm about to like take something of theirs and spin it in a different direction. But the minimalists, uh, who I find to have a really helpful message, by the way, have just observed that we live this sort of uh, consumer-frenzied life. And we work harder and harder just to make more and more money, just to acquire more and more things, and we're not really happier because of it. And so they uh, among others, have been thinking about and talking about and writing about and experimenting with how to live a minimalistic life when it comes to possessions so that you can put your best energies into things that matter more, like relationships. And i i love that whole big idea i think it's really beautiful and i think jesus would be right behind it but one of their big ideas in the minimalist life is a packing party and so they suggest that you that you literally take everything you own everything you possess every object and pack it up in moving boxes in your home and label every box and that, i mean like everything like your clothing like your toothbrush like everything you have uh, the car probably won't fit but like everything else you have right pack it all up and then for the next three weeks only take things out of the boxes when you actually need them then at the end of three weeks like reflect and look at the things you actually need and use the things that serve your life and then look at the boxes and how full they still are and ask yourself do you really need to add all of that back well here's why i raise that not i'm not talking about possessions right now for me it's a metaphor because during covid I think what we've discovered is COVID caused a lot of our lives to get packed up, not just our possessions, our obligations, our activities, our social lives, some of our relationships, a bunch of our behaviors, all of these patterns that got woven into our lives over years before COVID. COVID comes, shuts everything down, and we packed it all up, didn't we? We stopped going to practice and we stopped showing up for dinner with with other friends and we stopped traveling and we stopped saying yes to everything because we couldn't say yes. And so it all got packed up. And, you know, the minimalist point is don't just then indiscriminately add all that junk back into your life, but mindfully add things one by one. And I think right now we're being given the chance to do that with our very lives. Like as things open back up, as we get back to restaurants being open and travel being a thing and social obligations being a thing, what if we added mindfully and not carelessly? What if, rather than unthinkingly and reactively just getting back to all of the things that we did before COVID, what if as we put things back on the calendar and back on the list of obligations, what if we did it slowly and thoughtfully and mindfully and as we do it, we ask ourselves, is is this obligation or pattern or behavior, is this part of me living in the new world that God is giving birth to? Is it part of me living a new life with Jesus or is it just baked into the old package and do I really have to add it back? So that's, that's the first thing I want to steal from uh, this whole space of, of designing our lives, which is simply, as we go back to life, let's add mindfully, not mindlessly. The second thing I want to borrow from some helpful teaching space is uh, the idea of start simple and start small. And where, where I'm taking this from is a guy named Charles Duhigg. And Duhigg has written a really compelling and important book called The Power of Habit. And Charles Duhigg, as far as I know, he came up with this term. He describes what he calls keystone habits. So we all live our lives with lots and lots of habits. Some of them are chosen habits, like maybe going to the gym or how you eat, or intentional time with people that you care about. A lot of us live lives with a bunch of unintentional habits, but they're still habits. They're patterns and routines and ruts that we live in that we sort of just get on that hamster wheel and run. But but Duhigg observes that not all habits are created equal. And he describes a category of habits that he calls keystone habits. Now a keystone habit is a habit that sort of unlocks other habits. A keystone habit is is one chosen behavior or pattern that will in its wake tend to create other behaviors or patterns. And you can choose good, healthy keystone habits. And I, I say this because as I talk about designing our lives, about being mindful about the rule of our life, about the details, I don't want us to feel overwhelmed as if we've got to have a perfect design for everything, like all new habits from morning till noon till night, every day. I think we should start with looking for keystone habits that have an outsized impact on who we are and what we do. Let me give you a couple of examples of keystone habits in my life. So, when it comes to physical well being for me, uh, it's something I care about, it's something I want to take seriously, especially because it's connected to mental well being and spiritual well-being, emotional well-being, because like, they're all connected, right? So I, I wanna take physical well-being uh, really seriously. So I'll have seasons where it's not really um, a priority and I'm not able to live up to that value, but then I'll have seasons where I realize I wanna turn back toward it. And I don't know about you, but when I think about like physical well-being, I mostly think of like, diet and working out, like physical activity and nutrition. And here's what I've discovered. Between those two things, like working out and, and diet, what I eat, It it turns out that dieting doesn't do much for me on its own. Like, like what'll happen is if I decide I'm gonna start by eating better, well, I go, instead of having like a big, starchy, fatty, satisfying meal, I go suck on a piece of lettuce and then I'm just sad and I don't have any energy to go work out. Now, obviously I'm kind of exaggerating because you can eat really well in a way that gives you lots of energy, but I'm just saying that my, my entire adult life, I have discovered that eating well is not a keystone habit because it doesn't unlock any other habits for me. It just sort of like makes it harder and takes more willpower. But what I've learned the way I'm wired is that going to the gym is a keystone habit. I I actually, I like going to work out. It gives me time to kind of process some things in my mind while I use my body. I like going to the gym. So it's a little easier for me to get into that rhythm. And then what I have found, like, like clockwork, if I just get back into a rhythm of going to the gym, Without even trying, roughly a week and a half to two weeks after I start that rhythm, I find myself craving a healthier diet. I actually find myself not wanting to eat badly and desiring to eat really well. So that's why working out for me is a keystone habit. And in its wake, it creates the possibility of other good habits without having to become some like giant of willpower and self-restraint. So that's one example. And then another one I'll tell you about is in my finances. So I, I don't know about you, but uh, I've followed some of the work of Dave Ramsey and some of his recommendations for personal finance. And one of his big ideas is that you should only spend cash, don't use cards, and he's got this whole envelope system. Now, one of the big ideas here is that it's it's actually psychologically harder to part ways with physical cash, like dollars, like paper currency, because as you do it, you're really sensitive to what you're giving away and what's left. And, and uh, of course, in the year 2021 though, I don't know how to live on the cash system. (laughs) If you've got a way to figure it out, let me know. Because like, especially during the COVID era where I'm ordering things through apps on my phone and vendors don't even wanna have currency exchange because it's maybe a little dirtier than using like a contactless payment through Apple Pay on my phone. It seems virtually impossible to live by the cash system. But I know for me, when I don't live by the cash system, I lose track of my spending. So I figured out this other mind-blowingly simple little keystone habit, but it has this huge wake behind it. It's simply this. I just keep a note on my phone, like notes. Not I don't even use a budget software. It's just a note on my phone. And literally every single dollar that I spend, uh, each paycheck, I put it in there. I spent $8 at Whole Foods on some groceries. I spent $20 on uh, some clothing, I don't know and I I, I make a note of it, and and it has a huge impact on my awareness of my spending, uh, on my restraint, and it means other good things happen, like I feel less anxious about money. I'm able to be more generous because I have more money to give, which I I find a great joy in being able to be generous, whether it's giving to the church, or taking care of friends, or contributing to other causes. So all these other habits come in the wake of this one simple thing. So if we're talking about designing our lives as we come out into this new world post-COVID, I I don't know that you have to, like, figure everything out at once. I think you could start by looking for a few keystone habits in the areas where you are most longing for or feeling called into a new pattern, a new way of living. Experiment. Look for those few small, simple keystone habits that leave behind them a, a larger wake of change in your life. Now, before this starts to sound like some self helpy like thing on its own, like let me bring it back for a moment because I, 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 I'm a total fan of self-help to be honest, but that's not actually what I'm talking about. Like this whole thing for us, this whole teaching series, this whole big idea is built on this conviction, this picture in the New Testament that, that in Christ a, a new world is emerging, that God has given birth to something new, a new creation and perhaps that God is always giving birth to a new creation. So we don't have to generate it. We don't have to create it on our, on our own. This is more about the ways that we say yes, that we opt into the good world that God is building right now. And maybe another way to make this point is to tell you about the three sailors. I've, I've told you about them before, but it's been a while. Some of you haven't heard about the three sailors. I feel like it's really important for you to know about the three sailors. So uh, these three sailors, none of them were sailors at the time that the story begins. These three sailors, they they all three had gotten a, a vision of life on the open water. A couple of them watched a documentary, one of them read a book, but they all had this feeling inside that by not sailing, they were missing something that they were meant for, something intrinsic and core and important to who they were. And so they all decided to go buy sailboats and figure out how to get out there on the open water. Well, uh, these three sailors actually all end up with their boats docked at the same dock, one slip next to another, so they're kind of aware of one another too. And what, what happens with the first sailor is he he did all the upgrades when he bought his boat. I mean, he, he had this thing tricked out so much so that he had a satellite connection with Wi-Fi. And he got some killer Wi-Fi in the boat. And this guy happens to be a gamer and a Bitcoin miner. And if you don't know what the Bitcoin mining thing is, don't worry about it. But he's a gamer and a Bitcoin miner. So he needs lots of power and lots of Wi-Fi. And believe it or not, some, through some strange technology sort of upgrade, his boat has killer Wi-Fi. And so he's down there below deck at the dock with his laptop, thinking that he would set out for the water before long, but he just can't help but check on the Wi-Fi and see how good it is. And he discovers that it is phenomenal. And So he's down there below deck with the boat at dock, just gaming out and Bitcoining out and responding to emails and loving the technology that he has invested in for this boat. But the, the tragic thing, in this, and the second sailor noticed this. The, the first sailor, he, he actually never went sailing. He got so distracted that he just stayed down there and it's like he forgot that the whole point of having that boat was to get out there on open water and sail well the second sailor and they kind of know each other because they've you know been at the dock together and they, they'd actually met back at the marina where they both bought their boats and so they're, they're they're sort of aware of each other and the second sailor pokes his head down below deck on the first sailor and notices that this first sailor is so distracted by the accessories of his life on the boat that he forgot to actually go sail and the second sailor thinks to himself like how tragic what a sad sad story this is a man with a boat who's been invited out onto open water and he's just stuck here at the dock and this feeling of resolve this conviction this grit sort of grabs hold of the second sailor and the second sailor says that's not going to be me darn it And so this is a sailor who was taught to pick himself up by his bootstraps and to take responsibility for himself. And so without even waiting for the wind to blow and without even bothering to learn how to rig a sail, this sailor just grabs two oars and starts rowing his boat out onto open water. Now, at first, this looks pretty good because at least he's out on open water. And the point of having a boat is getting out on open water. But remember, he didn't learn how to read the wind or how to rig a sail. And he just keeps rowing and he keeps rowing and he keeps telling myself, I'm not gonna be like that first sailor. I'm not gonna get stuck back there. But sadly, what happens is the exertion of rowing this boat on his own gets the best of him. And this sailor has a heart attack out there in the middle of the ocean where nobody's there to help him. And to this day, his boat is just floating out there in open water, but he's dead on the deck. Well, there's that third sailor I told you about, right? And she notices the first sailor who uh, tragically gets distracted and never ends up out on open water. And she watches the second sailor as he sets out for open water, so strenuously working to get his boat out there. She senses that neither of those is really what this whole adventure was about. And so she, te- she seeks out some good teachers, some, some old sailors who've had a lot of time out there on the open water. And they taught her how to rig a sail. And they told her, they said, you know, sometimes the wind will blow strong and sometimes it won't seem like it's there at all. But the wind always comes again. And that when the wind comes, it is your best friend and it will pull you out onto open water. And all of those longings that you felt deep inside about where you were supposed to be and and what you are here for, you, you will discover that the wind has come to move you out into those places and to help you be what you are here to be. So she learns how to rig the sail Sure enough, eventually the wind comes. She's out there in open water having the time of her life. Now, there are days, again, where the wind dies down and she wonders if she's lost it, but that only lasts for so long. And there are other days when the wind comes so strongly, it feels almost violent, and it it pushes her to places of risk and perhaps even fear. She's a little bit afraid, and yet she knows this is what she's made for, and she's out there on open water having like the adventure of her life to this day. And of course, it was all because she sought out some wise old teachers and she learned how to rig her sails and catch the wind. I I say that because this is the best metaphor I've been able to come up with for what I think it means to live with God in the new world. And all of these designs that we are talking about, whether it's insight from the minimalists or Charles Duhigg, or whether it's the ancient teachings of spiritual practice in the church. what, What I'm trying to say is that like all of these little aspects of design and intentionality and practice are meant to be ways of rigging our sails and catching the wind. These aren't oars that we row on our own. Uh, What a depressing way of picturing your future. These are ways of rigging the sails and catching the wind and finding out that that as you learn to cooperate with the wind, that you're not on your own and getting to where you wanna go, which is life in this good and beautiful new world that God is making. So I wanna try something here on the podcast and the video And I just wanna create a little bit of space because I'm not trying to put some burden on us. I'm not trying to speak from some self-righteous place asking us to perform some perfectly designed life in the new world. I'm just trying to create space for us to listen and open our hearts to the possibility that the Spirit's whispering to us and calling us out of the old world and into the new, calling us out of that which is dead and into that which is alive. And for different people listening or watching, there will be different places in your life where the invitation speaks most loudly. And I'd like to create a moment where we can hear that. And so uh, wherever you are right now watching or listening, maybe you're on the treadmill, maybe you're driving, uh, maybe you're watching or listening with a loved one right now, uh, let me just take a minute or two and lead you in what you might call a brief sort of examine, a brief reflection on uh, where the new life is whispering to you and calling you out and where you might be invited to make some new designs. Uh, So let me start here. Is there anything about the ordering of your day? Just the actual ordering of your day when you think about what it looks like to wake up in your life, to wake up in your world, to wake up in your day, to move from the bed to the activities of your day. What it looks like to move through work, whether the work is you know, a paid job or whether the work is caring for somebody that you love, whether you're parenting or you're helping an elder parent, Uh, whatever the day is, whatever the tasks that shape your day are, when you move through them and then you come to the end of the day's obligations or maybe the evening has a bunch of other obligations and eventually you make your way back to bed, is there anything in how that usually goes where you hear a, a fresh calling or whisper or invitation to design something differently. There might even be a little keystone habit opportunity there. There there might be a simple practice, perhaps at the beginning or the end of your day, or interrupting it intentionally somewhere through the day. As simple as like a a five minute gratitude list, or a moment for prayer or a meditation or reconnecting with your body first thing in the morning or letting a prayer from the Psalms sort of guide your spirit toward prayer. Is there anything in the shape of that day where you hear an invitation to follow Jesus into a new way of living with new design? Is there anything in your relational world where you just hear like a whisper or a calling that things could be perhaps even should be a little bit different? Uh, Maybe you and your partner or spouse have settled into a way of relating with one another that just isn't working. And maybe the aspect of design is to give yourself some new tools or to maybe bring in a third party to help you talk it out. Or how about this one? Is your social world homogenous in a way that makes it harder for you to sit with and to, to live with the tensions that are erupting in the world? Uh, are you having a hard time understanding the laments that are pouring out in our streets because you're not close to anyone who can speak those laments firsthand? Is there, is there just uh, something about your social world that like has become pretty insular and maybe part of the new world is, is realizing you want to open your heart up and open your life up to a more diverse set of relationships around you? Would, would that be an invitation and, and is that a move toward design or intention? Uh, maybe, maybe you just feel this invitation to encounter or depth with God or what you might call the mystery or what you might call spirit. Uh, I'm speaking of, of that which lends its being to all of us. I'm, I'm talking of that love which animates everything in the universe. Do you feel like a, a desire or a longing to live in deeper encounter with God, with that mystery? And maybe that's intimidating. Maybe you don't know where to start, but that's exactly where we get stuck, isn't it? Because we, we think we have to kind of nail it all at once or wrap our arms around the whole thing. But instead, what if you could design something small or simple, uh, a chosen practice or pattern that o- over time will allow you to become more present to that presence, which is love, uh, which is always with us. Now, uh, we could go on and on and on. But I, I just I think uh, we are at a critical moment in time here as we stand on the threshold between COVID life and post-COVID life, where I, I think we are being invited to add back mindfully and to start small and to choose a, a well-designed life, a life that takes seriously the possibility that we could follow Jesus into his new, good, and beautiful world. Uh, again this week, I wanna wrap up with this benediction. We've been uh, turning to this poem from Kitty O'Meara who spoke almost a prophetic word over the world last March as COVID was just coming in. And here we are coming out of COVID and it just feels like a fitting benediction again today. So let me make this our benediction together. As the danger passes and we join together again, may we grieve our losses And may we make new choices, and may we dream new images, and may we create new ways to live and heal the earth fully as we are being healed. And may grace and peace be with you.